As a medical professional, you're probably consumed by your work. Because of that, you likely miss out on big opportunities to protect and grow the wealth you work so hard for. Luckily, through passive real estate investing, you can place your capital in the hands of trusted syndicators who do all the legwork while you sit back and let your money work for you. Syndicators like Ascent Equity Group. Ascent Equity Group is led by three medical professionals turned full-time real estate investors who have secured a quarter of a billion dollars in assets in just three years. And their latest opportunity, Sunrise and Chandler, is open now. Sunrise and Chandler is an exciting 177-unit value-add multifamily opportunity in the affluent city of Chandler, Arizona. This Class B asset in a Class A location was secured at a significant discount and is already cash flowing out of the gate, with 89% of the units still in need of renovation. Sunrise and Chandler is close to meeting its capital raising goal and will be closing soon. So if you'd like to learn more, visit ascentequitygroup.com forward slash best deal to schedule a call. That's A-S-C-E-N-T equitygroup.com slash best deal. This opportunity is open to accredited investors only. So if they're doing loan modifications, they're losing all of their equity. So at any point, if they have to sell, they're forced to do a short sale because they lost all their equity to the bank because they haven't been paying. Best ever listeners, before today's episode, I want to invite you to join us in Keystone, Colorado, February 20th through 22nd. It is the 2020 Best Ever Conference. And not only do I want to invite you to join us, I want to invite you to earn 15% for every ticket that you're responsible for selling should you join as an affiliate for the conference. Great way to earn money. And also, if you're planning on attending, great way to pay for your ticket, essentially. You get enough sales. So you can go to BEC20.com. And in the top left corner, it says earn 15% as an affiliate. You can click that, join the affiliate program, and you got all the resources that you need to share the good word about the Best Ever Conference in Keystone, Colorado. And we will be talking more about this on future episodes. But for now, go check out BEC20.com and that affiliate page. You can earn 15% as an affiliate. And we will see you in Keystone, Colorado. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Nicole Espinosa. How you doing, Nicole? I'm good. Thanks for having me. How are you? Oh, I'm glad to hear that. It's my pleasure and I'm doing well. And a little bit about Nicole. She's the author of Short Sales Uncensored and the owner of The Short Sale Queen. Her website is vssqueen.com. Her company processes short sales in any market. And in fact, her company processes over 150 short sales per month. And she is headquartered in Dallas, Texas. With that being said, Nicole, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Yeah, absolutely. So I started in the real estate industry with foreclosures, with REOs, real estate owned transactions, and really learned about how the banks worked and operated. Hated working for the bank directly as my client, but learned so much about really how to get around things, how they worked and had relationships. This was back in 2008, 2009, when the market was heavily saturated with foreclosures. And at the time we were evicting people. I was in charge of pretty much 
all of the listings we had at the time. And it was definitely a learning curve. But after a couple of years, I got licensed. And the first deal that I did as an agent was a short sale. And there were so many misconceptions of what to do. And most agents and even my broker at the time was telling me, don't even waste your time. And when it comes to short sales specifically, because it's such a different world than normal transactions, most people don't understand how to facilitate the transaction or really understand how it works. Mm -hmm. So I spent pretty much my entire career just educating so that people would feel equipped to at least know how to guide their client or guide a potential seller in that transaction. So I did my first listing that was a short sale and I've been doing it ever since. Just a lot better now. <laughs> I've <laughs> spent some time. Well, yeah, you do a lot of them. So that would make sense. 150 per month. And in your bio, you mentioned that your company processes over 150 short sales per month. What does that mean you process 150 short sales a month? It means we have a constant flow of properties closing and properties coming in. But in our inventory, we're working actively with the bank on these listings to get approval. Okay. So right now, for example, we have 151 listings. And when we launched nationwide, we are in about nine to 10 different markets right now. We'll be in 10 this month. So even though we have the ability to process in every market, I mean, obviously we're not in every single market. Mm -hmm. Definitely when we, when we did nationwide, I don't think we expected to grow this quickly. Just a year and a half ago, we were doing 30 to 40 a month. Mm -hmm. So to go from that many sellers to scale that much has just been definitely an adventure mm -hmm. oh, I <laughs> uh, bet. because every state is different and every bank has different requirements. So for me, it's just been on how to navigate the different states and the different markets that we're in. But that's essentially what that means that we're processing over 150 is that we have that many listings in our pipeline that we're working with investors and other realtors. How much do you make on average per deal? Our minimum is $5,000 on each deal. And I think when I was doing the numbers for uh, 2019 and the last couple of weeks, the average commission with fees and everything is about 7,500. Wow. Okay. So at 5,000 times 150, that's $750,000 a month. And at 7,500, that's $13,500,000 in a year. How much of that is profit? We don't close 150 a month. So we're processing that many into how much we have in inventory, but we're two to three months out on the short sales. Okay. So the average short sale closes in about a year okay. uh, for most agents. For us, our timeframe is two to three months because we're highly focused on this. Mm -hmm. We're not like traditional agents where we're working with the buyer and working with the seller. No, this is all we're doing. I have a staff of eight people that I have negotiators. I have an office manager. I have VAs that are calling the banks just to say, Hey, did you get our email? Hey, did you do this? <laughs> Seriously, that's our operation. We try to do as much as we can to be proactive instead of reactive. So that way we can stay ahead of it. And we try to anticipate what the bank's going to need before they okay. ask. Got so it. that's why our process is so much faster. Average closings, we have about 30 a month. So wow. that's the average closing that we're doing. Last month was our biggest month. We had 32. And then now that we are consistently getting more inventory, now our new goal is 45 a month. So as much inventory as we have, we're trying to increase our closings. 
Now, unlike other contracts, like if you're wholesaling or if you're just in a traditional contract with a seller, you usually can anticipate the closing date, right? Because you put a closing date of 30 days, 45 days. With short sales, there's no way of knowing. One short sale, we could start at the same time with another, and then one could close in two months and the other could close in four because there's so many variables and every lender is different and every lender has a different process. So that's why we do such a huge volume at a time, because like I said, it could be like one month we close 50 because we have them all at the same time. Or so that's why we have to do such a high volume because we don't know when they're going to close. It's going to be really interesting talking to you about the different states and the banks and then how you've scaled. We're going to get into that with the closings now. So you said you do about 30, so that's 7,500 bucks per closing on average, 225K times 12. That's $2.7 million business. And how long have you been doing this? Remind me. I've been doing this for nine years. It's going to be 10 next month. At what point was it a million dollar business? How many years into it? I'm going to be very honest because I'm very straightforward. Last year. (laughs) Last year. Wow. What was the tipping point? Here's the deal. I've learned so much these last couple of years of how to really focus on becoming profitable because I think everybody's vision as an entrepreneur, I think people are so focused on growing, right? We do really well. And we're like, let's scale, but scaling is not necessarily a good thing. Sometimes growing just means that you're spending more money if you're not doing it the right way. So for me, I'm a visionary. So I see the bigger picture. I want to take over the world. I'm like, let's do this in every market or whatever, because I know our value and I know that we're good at it. But I have failed so much when it comes to spending too much money, investing everything back in the business, spending money on the wrong hires. So we're having rehire and and all that. So the tipping point was I started my business all over in October of 2018 and basically fired everyone Mm. and took everything back because I realized that I had this cap to my business because of the employees that I had. They could only grow to a certain level and they were great at the time and I had a great culture, but they just didn't have the capability to grow with me. Mm. So I had to take a step back. What made you realize that? I wanted to quit and I was so frustrated because I was in every part of my business and I couldn't understand why I couldn't grow. I couldn't understand why I was so stressed out working 80 hours a week when I had so many employees. Yeah. How many did you have? At the time I had four. Okay. And I was like, okay, if we're doing 30 to 40 a month that we're processing and processing, not closing, we're closing only like 10 (laughs) or 11 a month. And I was like, why am I so stressed out if I have people? And I I know it was because I wasn't hiring intentionally and I was promoting people based off of loyalty and based off of just the culture that we had. And I read scaling up and I started really investing in personal growth of like, okay, what are my weaknesses? What are my strengths? And I started reading books that were totally opposite of my personality. And when I read Scaling Up, it said something that was one thing, you know, it only takes that one thing. Yeah, it does. It's like this light bulb of like, okay, wow, that totally resonated with me. And maybe people have told me this before, but it, it was just in a different way that it didn't connect with me. So I read Scaling Up and it said this powerful statement. If you look at your organization and you look at all your employees, would you rehire them? And I started picking apart and I was like, oh my God, I I wouldn't. I love these people, but oh my gosh, I'm having to micromanage and I'm not even empowering them because I'm so worried that they're going to screw up or whatever that I was pretty much, I had these bodies in these roles, but they weren't taking ownership of them. And it was basically me 
doing everything. So being, what a powerful um, question. Yeah. I tell people all the time. I'm like, look, it's so hard because we as individuals, we tend to gravitate towards people that are like us. Right. Mm -hmm. And if we hire that way, we will never grow because we need people that are the opposite of us. We need people that are going to be better in certain areas where our weaknesses are. And the only time that we can do that is if we're very self-aware of what we're good at and what we suck at. Mm -hmm. And most people just focus on what they're really good at. So it was very, very humbling mm -hmm. <laughs> being in the business for a while and you fired all four. start over. Oh, I fired everyone, including my what VAs was, too. What was that like? Oh man, high blood pressure, so stressed out. <laughs> What's a, a suggestion you give to someone who needs to go through a similar process? To just do it because it's, it will be more painful to continue to go the path that you're going if you have the wrong people. And you know what, what I noticed when you say you fire someone, you assume that it's ugly, right? Because you know, you're it's always a good go. thing because they're not maximizing their potential as a human being or as a professional because they're not in a role that's best suited for them. So it's a good exactly. thing. Exactly. And they were so relieved and happy too, because they were only staying because they felt loyal to me. So they were miserable too. They just didn't want to admit it and they weren't going to quit. So when I did let them go, it was just like this relief of like, oh my gosh, okay, I can do what makes me happy. And had I identified the right role for them, maybe they would have stayed in the organization and thrived based on their skill set, not based on what I needed at the time. So my advice would be just to do it, to take an inventory of the people in your organization and figure out, are they truly in the right role? They may have the desire to do it, but do they have the capacity? And I don't think enough people talk about that. And it's not until you're in it, you fully understand, okay, how important it is that someone is capable of being able to grow with you. And I do believe that there are certain people that will just be with you for a season. But I also believe that there are people that can stay with your organization and buy into your vision. As long as you continue to provide opportunities of growth, there's no reason why they can't grow with you. So that's half the battle, identifying that, then firing them. But the other thing you nailed clearly by taking it from 1 million to 2.7 is finding those right people and making sure you qualify them properly. So how did you do that? Well, I started with the foundation. Okay, I know my skill set. I know that I can build relationships. I think the important thing was is that I knew every aspect of the job. Like at any given moment, if every single person in my organization quit, I could dive right in and do any part of the job. And I was like, okay, if, if I'm going to be able to go out there and build relationships and grow the business and bring in the business, then I need someone that's going to hold down the fort. So I needed somebody that was going to be like me, but better and be able to manage because that was the other thing that I was terrible at was managing. I'm a great leader, but I'm a horrible manager because I have no patience. <laughs> like, just do it. <laughs> like, I don't care. Just do it. Just get it done. I'm a great boss and I'm very flexible and things like that, but the job has to get done. It's very black and white for me. We can have the best relationship if you do your job. Besides that, if you don't, none of us eat, right? Like it, it, for the bigger purpose, it doesn't work for anyone. So I realized I need somebody that's a good manager. And so it was actually Facebook. On Facebook, you can put on your Facebook page, you can create a job. So I put it out there as far as like an office manager. And I knew that I was looking for a unicorn because not many people understand short sales have ever done them. And so anyways, fast forward, Stephanie, who's my office manager now, she was doing them for an investment company. 
and she applied. And it was one of those things where I kind of didn't believe her. Mm-hmm. I was asking her certain questions because I'm like, okay, if you're BSing me, I'm going to know, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she was just amazing. What got me was that in my book, she's like, yeah, I read your book. She's like, I probably would have added this, this, and this. And I just, <laughs> That's good. I fell in love with her. I was That's like, good. oh my God. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> So that to me, I mean, we, it was just like such a great fit because where she was at, she wasn't happy and there was no room for growth. They kind of just took advantage of her. So we had the same vision as far as what we wanted to grow, same work ethic. And she has helped me so much streamline where again, I don't think systems I do now because I've thrown myself into it, but I was the type of person that I'm a very visual person. So I had my notebook, I would get leads and I'd write everything down to retain the information. And then it got to the point where I was like, okay, I can't do this anymore. I'm getting leads on Facebook and Instagram and this and that. And we needed one central place to be able to do it. So there's no balls that were being dropped. And so Mm -hmm. we basically created the system that we have now. We use Infusionsoft, which is an awesome CRM database or whatever. But the biggest thing with that is that we were able to create a website. So if you go to help me with my short you can literally enter all the lead details and then it goes right into Infusionsoft. So it creates a profile and it tags you as the investor that's referring it over. And it triggers a text to seller saying, Hey, Joe referred you over to us. When's the best time to connect? And that way there's instant contact and we're not having to enter it in. So it takes a lot of those steps out and streamlines it. So that's how we were able to scale because I basically looked at my organization as we started growing and saying, okay, what are the things that we're doing two to three times a day that we can put a system in place so that way it can go a lot smoother and we're able to scale it. Mm -hmm. So spent almost an entire year just working out the kinks because working with 30 homeowners a month compared to 150 is a completely different ballgame. There's so yeah. many humans. It forces you to scale. <laughs> I mean, you have to. Oh, absolutely. Or it forces you to develop a system in place in order to scale. Yeah. And, and I would rather take less business than not do what we say we're going to do. Mm-hmm. So it was very important to me that because my business is a hundred percent referral, we're not marketing for these sellers. We're not cold calling. We're not doing any of that. So if we're doing such a high volume, my reputation needs to stay intact and saying, Hey, look, like if you refer this over to us, you're trusting that we are going to take care of it and we're going to take care of this person. And that most importantly, it will give you an opportunity to be able to buy these properties and have this whole other pipeline. So your marketing dollars aren't going to waste. Closing on around 30 a month now, your goal is in the short term to be up to about 40 or 45, I believe you told me. The perception that I have, which is clearly not correct, so please educate me and perhaps some others who are listening, is that short sales are not nearly as prevalent as they were when you started, and that has to be a fact, but there's still clearly a lot of them out there. So what's it like being in the business now and how are you getting this type of volume? So I do believe that I have a lot of the market share because I specialize in this and because we are consistent, right? We've been doing this for so long and most people, they kind of just do one thing and then they do another and they know Mm -hmm. when they see here, Nicole, they think of either the short sell queen or short sell expert or whatever. And that's why when we went national, that's why the company name is the short sell queen because that was my nickname in Dallas-Fort Worth for a really long time. So as far as the difference at the time when I was doing short sales and I was teaching classes and things like that before I wrote my book, everybody wanted to do short sales. 
because once the REO market kind of dried up, short sales started becoming more known and more prevalent. And then of course, as the market starts stabilizing and getting better, everybody that was trying to dabble into it and realized how much work it was <laughs> kind of fell off. But here's the deal. There's always going to be short sales in any type of market, because even in 2014, 2015, when we started seeing the prices going up again, and we started seeing all of that, we were still busy because people are always going to have a financial hardship. People are always going to put themselves in situations that they can't get out of. So it was just different because short sales were so big before because prices dropped drastically because the market crashed. Now, as you shift to 2019, 2020, it's not so much about the prices going down, even locally, it's turning into a buyer's market, which means sellers lose leverage. It's not even about that. It's about the clients who lose their jobs and get into a bad financial spot and then stop paying because they're trying to do something with their bank. So if they're doing loan modifications, they're losing all of their equity. So at any point, if they have to sell, they're forced to do a short sale because they mm -hmm. lost all their equity to the bank because they haven't been paying. Or they did do a loan mod and it was a band-aid fix. And now they agreed because when the banks do loan modifications, they add all of those fees to the back of the loan. And a lot of times they're extending the life of the loan. So they're paying into something where they're not ever going to get out of. So that's why people don't understand. Like, if you don't understand that piece of it, you won't understand why they'll always be here. Mm -hmm. Now, I believe in the next year that we're going to see so many more short sales coming back because we're seeing a lot of these loans that were done last couple years because people were desperate to be, become homeowners get into 100% loans again. We're seeing a lot of like the new builds that people were just getting into and not really thinking about it. And they were at their max of their monthly payments. And now it's been a couple years and something happened to where they can't afford it anymore. So we're starting to see a lot of those come up now. And I think in the next year or so, we're going to see a lot more. When you take a look at the short sale process, what is the most challenging part of the process for you and your team? The price. And that will always be across the board, not just with our company, but just in general. The number one reason why most short sales fail is because of price. Because the banks, even more now that it's been years and years where they've been doing short sales and they have short sale departments, they try to pretend like they're in real estate. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they try to act like they know based off third party valuation of like, okay, this is the price. Well, you know that price is relative or it's an opinion, right? because it's really depends on what someone's willing to pay. So that's why it's so difficult because if the bank is trying to take a less of a loss that they can, they want to get as much as they can for the property. So that's probably the number one thing is how do we consistently adjust our process so that we can stay ahead of being proactive of saying, okay, for example, with us, if an investor refers something over to us, we let them know, do you have any repair bids? Do you have anything that can help us justify your offer? Mm -hmm. Because if the property is in need of repairs and it's something to where it won't finance, it's going to go to an investor because a traditional buyer cannot purchase it. So why not go to the investor that has the relationship with the seller? So we ask them like, Hey, look, what do you have so that we can use as much leverage as possible to negotiate with the banks and then give it to the appraiser so that we can show all that information and 
try to stay ahead of it. And then a lot of times that works. And then sometimes we'll get like the older appraisers that <laughs> are stubborn and think that they know everything and don't care. And we'll still have to dispute it with the bank. But we try to be as proactive as possible and get as much information up front so that we can show that to the lender to have as much leverage as possible. Taking a giant step back, what is your best real estate investing advice ever as it relates to your area of expertise? The best advice I can give is to capitalize on every single lead that you come across. So I've been working with investors obviously for a very long time now because 75% of my business is from real estate investors. The other 25% are from real estate agents who don't know how to do short sales. So in working with a lot of the bigger companies and the bigger franchises and even smaller companies, a lot of times in training their acquisition teams and talking to them, they don't understand that they need to be able to capitalize on everything. And I'm not saying to do everything, right? Like we can't spread ourselves thin. We have to be able to be good at something, right? And highly focus on it. But if you don't have a solution for everything that you come across, you're wasting money. You're leaving money on the table. So for example, a lot of times investors just highly focus on properties with high equity and they spend the money, they get a lead, they build rapport, and then the deal doesn't work. And then they walk away instead mm -hmm. of trying to find a, a solution because at the end of the day, the seller still has to sell. So it may not work for your numbers, but how can you provide a solution to where you can still monetize on it? And that's mm -hmm. the way you need to think. If I can't do it myself, who can I outsource this to, to either still get paid partner up with someone, but be able to recoup that because direct marketing is expensive. You need to be able to provide solutions. And it's not just about money. It's about helping that person because clearly if they're coming to you, there's a need to be able to sell something happened to them. They have to move on, especially if they're in foreclosure and they have some type of hardship. So how can you be that resource for them to be able to help them move on to the next phase of their life? We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's do it. All right, let's do it. First, quick word from our best ever partners. Best ever listeners, go to BEC20.com. Look in the top left-hand corner. You can earn 15% as an affiliate. You can join the affiliate program and participate in the conference that way and basically earn a free ticket to the conference, BEC20.com. When it's Friday at 4.30 p.m., it's time for Entrepreneur Drinks Podcast, which is co-produced by Joint Ops Properties and Discount Property Investors. Join their end-of-the-work-week session as they tackle problems facing entrepreneurs. Listen and subscribe at entrepreneurdrinks.com. That's entrepreneurdrinks.com. All right, best ever book you've recently read? Rocket Fuel. Rocket Fuel? I just, I just got finished reading that one. Okay. And I wrote down one that you mentioned earlier, Scaling Up. Would you recommend that one? Oh, 100%. I didn't just read it, but I read it at least twice. And oh. if anybody's building a, a business, an actual business, you need to read that book. Hey, that's me. I'm going to read that one too. I will be buying that. And I think 99.9% .9 of the best ever listeners are building a business too. So there's going to be a lot of purchases with that one. What is the deal you've lost the most amount of money on? I spent a year and a half helping a ex-husband. It was such a long story, but I lost 15 grand on it because we spent so much time and money working on it and we never ended up closing. It wasn't a short sale? Or was it was it? a short sale, yeah. And we don't get paid until it closes. And that was one of those situations where we did everything that we could. And I have such a big heart. I was like, okay, we can try this way. And it was one of those situations where like three people had passed away. So the heirs, 
ended up being kids, which you learn something every transaction. So you need a gartership for those heirs. And there just wasn't any more money to be able to pay for an attorney to do it and all that. But we got the short sale approved three times. So we did what we were supposed to do. We just couldn't sell because of title because everybody kept passing away. What's the deal you've made the most amount of money on? The most money I've made on one transaction was 55,000. And we ended up buying it. I found the deal, this was like early on, and I ended up purchasing it ourselves and then flipping it. But there wasn't much work that needed to be done. And the loan was in default for so long that the bank literally told us, if you just give us this, you can have it. Mm-hmm. And it was just a slam dunk. It was awesome. It was a reverse mortgage and we need more of those. <laughs> <laughs> Since you made a disproportionate amount of money on the reverse mortgage and you said you need more of those, why not put 100% of your focus on getting more of those deals versus doing the short sales? Well, in that case, it was a very rare case. Yes, absolutely. We could hyper focus on marketing to reverse mortgages, but in this situation, it was a bad note and the bank could not foreclose on the homeowner. So the reason Mm -hmm. why we were able to get them so low, and it wasn't even us fighting with them, it was us saying, you've got to do something because the attorney could not foreclose. I think it was almost 10 years of being in default where the homeowner had passed away and it was just sitting there. So it was very rare, but we are focused on maximizing on every deal that we can. And I told you my minimum is five grand, but we do make a lot more on, on a lot of the deals. We just have a minimum that we have to use to be able to still be profitable and work hard on these deals for the client. What is the best ever way you like to give back to the community? Honestly, educating, being a resource for investors and agents. I've said this my entire career. I'll have people that will call me just to pick my brain and to help them, even if I'm not involved. So I do the best that I can to make myself available to professionals because the way I look at it is I feel like money will always come. And if I can help you to help someone else, then that's the most important thing. If you want to take it on yourself, if you don't, then you're always going to have me to help you with it. So the best way I can give back is with my knowledge and to be able to help you, even if I'm not directly getting paid from it or whatever. How can the best ever listeners learn more about what you're doing? They can go to our website, bssqueen.com, and we're also on YouTube, The Short Sale Queen. We do videos every week. Nicole, thank you for being on the show talking about how you've scaled tremendously over the last 24 months. And the key is just fire everyone. (laughs) Key is to... That's going to be the title, right? Right, yeah. Just (laughs) struggling in your business, fire everyone and start from scratch. But it's assessing what your strengths are. It's assessing, would you rehire the people you currently have in place? What a powerful, powerful question that is that really can get an entrepreneur thinking. And then building the right team members to go along journey with them. And it's knowing your business. If you didn't know your business, then you wouldn't know who to hire, how to hire them, and what you needed. It's knowing yourself and your business. I think self-awareness as an entrepreneur, as the business owner is probably the most important thing if you wanna be successful. Because if you can't get out of your own way, you can't grow. Because we always have these blind spots and I feel like that has been the key for me to keep growing 
is understanding I really suck at this. So I'm going to continue to outsource. I'm going to continue to try to develop and grow and put people in place that are better than me so that instead of being prideful or instead of saying, okay, I got this. And I did for a long time. I was like, oh, I got this. No worries. Mm -hmm. And it was more of just trying to get it done instead of taking a step back and saying, I don't need to reinvent the wheel. I also don't have to be great at everything. I can focus on my strengths and then outsource the rest. Thanks for being on the show. Hope you have the best ever day. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. When it's Friday at 4.30 p.m., it's time for Entrepreneur Drinks Podcast, which is co-produced by Joint Ops Properties and Discount Property Investors. Join their end-of-the-work-week session as they tackle problems facing entrepreneurs. Listen and subscribe at entrepreneurdrinks.com. That's entrepreneurdrinks.com. Best ever listeners, go to BEC20.com. Look in the top left-hand corner. You can earn 15% as an affiliate. You can join the affiliate program and participate in the conference that way and basically earn a free ticket to the conference, BEC20.com.